Blog Talk Radio. Hello, Nat Sound, where the Papelbon hate is once again strong. This is Nat Nightly, sponsored by FederalBaseball.com. This is Patrick Reddington from Federal Baseball. I've got Doghouse and Dave Nichols on the line after the Nationals' three-to-two loss in Philadelphia. Looked like they were going to win it two-to-one, but Jonathan Papelbon, first blown save of the season, Dave, and we'll start there. We'll go back for Bryce Harper's home run and some of the details there. He puts them ahead 2-1 to one in the top of the 10th inning. Jonathan Papelbon comes on looking for number, save number six and six opportunities. One-out double by Peter Borjos puts a tying run on second, gets out number two on a fly to center, but Andres Blanco comes in as a pinch hitter. Line drive to left. Jason Worth comes up throwing, makes a nice throw to the plate, but uh, Jose Lopatan can't hold on to it. Peter Borjos collides with them. Ball gets loose. They tie it up there. Freddie Galvez comes in next, lines one to the left, over Jason Worth's head and off the wall. Game winner there. Phillies walk off, avoid the sweep. Papelbon blows his first save. <laughs> the anger on Twitter explodes and wasn't particularly sharp out there after the Nationals rallied to take the lead, and they end up taking two of three, but a disappointing loss here and a disappointing blown save by Papelbon. Well, it is. I mean, that's a game that the Nats had won. Um, save for their closer coming in and getting three outs, which he couldn't do, and that's always a tough one to take, uh, especially since it was a, a you know a tight game the whole way. It was um, you know a one run game. You know when when you've got a three run lead, you feel a little bit better about it. But uh, um, you know the dramatic way that Harper gets them the lead in the top of the inning, and then and then Papelbon comes in and, and um, blows his first save as, as you mentioned, and then and it's right to point out that that was his first blown save. But um, looking at his body of work as a whole. Um, it's problematic. I mean, this is a guy that used to get people out with his fastball. Can't do that anymore. Can't blow it by. His fastball has always been flat. It's always just, um, you know, been fast enough, hard enough to get by people. That just isn't the case anymore. And on days when his slider um, is flat, um, he's going to get hit. And that's exactly, you know, what happened today. He wasn't able to fool anybody. Um, and the, and he was giving up hard contact. And, and that's going to be a recurring theme. I mean, this is a guy that's stu- who's stuck is diminishing over the last several years. Um, And, you know, just it wasn't any good today. And he has had bouts of of contact before today. He's just been able to eventually get the job done today. That didn't happen. And like I said, the way that that it happened with with Harper getting them to lead there dramatically uh, hurts doubly. This is a game that the Nats should have won. Um, Granted, you know, they're off to a terrific start and whatever. But even then, games in April, losses are still losses, and you never know when it's going to come back to haunt them. Doug, as we and you in particular have been warning that Papelbon is not particularly sharp so far. We've talked about a lot of hard contact. Dusty Baker said the other day that line drive outs are still out, so all that matters is he gets a save. This time he didn't, and I know you're not on Twitter, but if you could see the Papelbon hate flying around there, I'm sure you'd be amazed at the level of it. But not a good outing for him and kind of disappointing way to lose it, as I mentioned to Dave there. Oh, absolutely. Uh, this is a, a real heartbreaker. Uh, exactly like I said we would get with Papelbon. Uh, the only consolation is that it's only a one-run lead that he blew instead of a three-run lead. Just wait until that happens, and it will if he keeps closing. Now, Dave, I think, has, has quite accurately cataloged all of his deficiencies as a high-leverage guy right now. Uh, if he's closing out games against the bottom of the order with a more comfortable lead, as he has in, I guess, probably about half the time uh, he's come out to, 
to get a save so far this season, you know, fine. Uh, we've got uh, Trinan and Rivero out there against the tougher parts of the order. But on a time like this, you know, he's facing, well, not, not the greatest still, but, but pretty solid hitters. Uh, he doesn't have his stuff. Uh, we're in for a bumpy ride and ultimately a disappointing one. Uh, he's really sort of got the, the makeup of maybe a seventh-inning guy, maybe even a rookie at this point in his career. He shouldn't be closing games. Uh, he is because of his experience and his contract and, uh, you know, as Dave said, sort of his pedigree. But um, the, the stuff isn't there. And if, if you don't have uh, enough movement, Guile isn't going to take it for you when, uh, when, when everything's coming out flat. And you get a result like we saw today, <clears throat> especially with Jason Worth lumbering around after the hard-hit fly balls and left. Dave, we've joked about it before, and uh, Jim Bowden on Sirius XM Radio joked earlier this spring that Trevor Gott should have gone up to Papelbon and introduced himself as the guy who's going to take his job eventually. But we're totally getting ahead of ourselves, but why not? It's fun to talk about if Papelbon doesn't end up uh, remaining the closer, struggles going forward, uh, keeps on giving up the hard contact. Who are you turning to if they do eventually replace him? And I'm noting once again that we're getting way ahead of ourselves. He saved five of six so far before today's blown save. And the Nationals do have some options, though, if he were to struggle with Blake Trinan back there. Felipe Rivero got down in AAA. Uh, Sammy Solis is even kind of tearing it up in AAA, not that I think of him as a closer. But there are some alternatives if Papelbon keeps does struggle, I should say. Well, as I am quick to remind, this is an organization that does not mind pulling the plug on a veteran reliever, as they've done three of the last five years in some situations. So um, I don't think it would take much for um, for the channels, for the powers that be, to reduce Papelbon's um, carbon footprint on the exhaust that is the, is the Washington Nationals. Um, my first bet... <laughs> My first bet would be on a player that you didn't even mention, and that's Sean Kelly. Um, very rarely do relievers get multi-year contracts, and that signed him to a three-year deal. I think very much was in mind that he would eventually uh, replace Papelbon as the closer. Um, Kelly has near has borderline elite skills. Um, he has he is, is prone to occasionally missing the strike zone, um, but he strikes for the last three seasons. He has struck out over 11 batters per inning. Uh, those are elite skills, skills of befitting of a closer. Um, the Nats have a couple of other options too. I mean, we, we, you mentioned Blake Trinan. I think he's, um, he, I think he's option B. Um, again, we talk about the, the, the control factor um, and, and the need of a third pitch. I think as a closer, you don't necessarily need to have that third pitch. You come out and you throw as hard as you can for 15 or 20 pitches and hope you get the job done. I think Blake Trinan could do that job as long as, um, you know, he pitches around lefties or just keeps it in on their fists the entire time. I think those are the two most, um, most uh, the, the two best ideas to replace Papelbon as a closer. Like I said, we're getting way ahead of ourselves there, but frustrating loss, especially Doghouse coming after, as we mentioned, Bryce Harper's home run in the top of the 10th inning, two-out blast. He entered the game with homers in three straight games on the season, five straight games overall in Citizens Bank Park. Uh, make that four straight overall on the season, six straight in Philadelphia, a 3-2 fastball from closer Jamar Gomez and just puts it over the out-of-town scoreboard into the bullpen area back there. Just 
if clutch existed, uh, that was definitely one clutch at bat. He kind of took a strike that was a uh, took a ball, I should say, that looked like a strike to me, and got that extra pitch to work with. And Philly announcers were belaboring that point, but Harper came up really big there, put one out uh, right center to put the Nationals ahead for set Papelbon up with the save opportunity, but obviously, as we spent the first 15 minutes talking about here, he didn't lock it down, but a great at-bat by Harper there, and just another display of that power. Uh, first of all, for the Philly announcers, I don't think they're ones to complain about uh, uh, a, a blown <laughs> strike zone call shifting the game against them, since uh, they, they benefited from, from one or two of those at earlier points in the game, not to mention some, some entirely head-scratching uh, video replay interpretations, but you know that's that that's not the topic at hand. The topic at hand is that Bryce Harper is still pretty good in, at baseball, and uh, it, it's not like we're consoling ourselves that oh the the team is underperforming and stinking, but at least Harper is still good. No, this is still a pretty pretty good team, uh, and, and they're they're playing pretty well so far this season. And the the, the struggles of Papelbon today, notwithstanding and of everyone else against Charlie freaking Morton for crying out loud. Uh, Harper still thrives on the big, the big situation. He likes the spotlight. Uh, he clearly does not wilt under pressure, not that it is statistically possible to demonstrate that this is a particular skill or deficit in major league ball players anyway, rant over. But uh, Harper's a, a great guy, and I love watching him bat. Every at-bat's a, a, a gem, whether it's a big pressure situation like this one, or or not, uh, even if it's, it's it's a meaningless junk time shot, just watching that ball leap off the bat and, and go into parts unknown or somehow clear the wall in spite of never seeming, have, never seeming to have reached an apex of more than 10 or 12 feet off the ground. Uh, <laughs> love watching this kid hit. Dave, he's, every team coming in against Harper, that's the one guy you don't want to beat you. They get to a 3-2 count there. They, they, He's got first base open. Why would you possibly give him something to hit in that situation if you're Jean-Marc Gomez going in there? I don't know the answer to that. I, and, I'll, <laughs> and I'll never know the answer to that. The, the only answer to that is, is that, that, that can possibly be theorized is that Jean-Marc Gomez either has a death wish or he's so hyper-competitive <laughs> that he doesn't understand the, the logical probabilities of baseball. <laughs> Not a good decision either way on his part. I think it's safe to say, and he did give up a blast there. Unfortunately, it didn't keep the Nationals ahead. I want to go back to both of you on this one. Dusty Baker said last night that he makes his lineups out usually two or three days in advance. So he didn't give a bunch of the regulars a day off today because they had won the first two. He planned on giving them a day off, wanted to get some of the bench guys at bats. But the decision to sit Ryan Zimmerman, Danny Espinosa, Michael A. Taylor, and Wilson Ramos all at once. Clint Robinson, uh, Stephen Drew, Chris Heisey, and Jose Lobatone get in there. Is that too much of a change? Is it too much of shaking things up? They got a lot of lefties in there against uh, Charlie Morton, who gave up a 299-389-506 line versus lefties last season. It made sense to kind of stack the lineup, but that much of a change when you're kind of rolling. What, what did you think of the decisions on Baker's part with the lineup today? Um, as far as I'm concerned, I'm okay with it. You know, Danny Espinosa and Michael Taylor, they haven't started to hit yet anyway. So you throw Heisey in there, you throw Drew in there, maybe one of them pops one. Um, Lobatone is going to be Gio Gonzalez's personal catcher for the entire season. So, uh, so again, you know, terrific. 
Um, you know, take us an old school manager. Sunday's a part-timers play. Um, so as far as I'm concerned, this is what he's going to do all season long. Um, if Espinosa starts to hit, you know, then, then maybe you, you do something different. But, I, you know, I've been on the fence the entire way that Espinosa is not going to start to hit. So um, I don't have a problem with Stephen Drew playing on Sundays. One thing we haven't noted so far on here is that Trey Turner is absolutely hitting at AAA, and Danny Espinosa has been pretty solid defensively. Uh, the Nationals are winning with him in there, so there's no rush to make a move there. But if he continues to not hit well, it'll be interesting to see uh, Nationals do wait until June when they're guaranteed another uh, year of team control of Turner or if they go to him first. But that's off topic here. Doghouse, I want to go back to you. Forgotten in all of this is the fact that Gio Gonzalez put together another solid start, came into the game, one hit allowed on the 29 off-speed pitches he's thrown so far this season, which is just an interesting little note I saw there. But uh, 16 career starts for the Phillies, a 2.66 ERA in uh, Citizens Bank Park in 10 starts, I should say, 3.85 overall versus the Phillies. Falls behind uh, Carlos Ruiz, 3.0 in the second, grooves a fastball that ends up in the left field seats, one nothing at that point. That's the only run he allowed. Seven innings, four hits, that one run, two walks, eight Ks, one home run, 100 pitches, another solid outing from Gio Gonzalez. And just this was one of those really just one mistake kind of starts for him. Yeah, I, I think this we might be able to officially designate uh, Maddox as being the Gio whisperer. Uh, all the... <laughs> All the the things that we'd noticed in, in previous seasons, you know, getting a little overexcited, uh, sort of uh, his frustration getting the the better of him if he gets uh, gets bad calls or is having problems with his command, uh, didn't didn't really seem to get to him today. And he certainly had a couple bouts with uh, with both wildness and arguments in favor of robot umpires, if I can put it diplomatically. Uh, robot umpire. <laughs> Uh, but but each time, you know, he'd shake it off. He took a little walk around the mound. He came back and, and tried to finish out the at-bat uh, and had pretty good results today. Eight Ks, two walks, that is uh, that is a solid geo start. Uh, seven innings, That's uh, he's throwing just as many, if not more, as, as anyone else in the starting rotation right now. So, you know, Dusty doesn't have to sandwich him in between his horses to make sure that the bullpen gets, uh, gets a, a – you know, enough of a rest. Um, if this is the geo we see for the rest of the season, you know, if this rep, rep, uh, represents a real shift in his mental game, because we know he has the physical tools to succeed, uh, I, I think this uh, this says good things for, for the Nats going forward. And, and you might want to mention that, that he even mixed in a flag step today when he had runners on, which is something that's, that he's never done in the past. So that's another interesting wrinkle that Maddox has been working on him with. Quick pitch to Melo there, yeah, getting to the plate quickly, which is nice to see. He was some really long holds today, which was interesting, too. The Phillies and Hatchers were getting frustrated and calling for their pitchers to call time every time he did it. But he was kind of kind of keeping the hitters off balance. It was interesting to see the way the Nationals so far this season are working to kind of slow the running game down of opposing teams under Mike Maddox's regime. So, Something to watch going forward. Uh, the Nationals lose three to two today. Miss out on the chance to sweep. Dave, uh, we got some update on Ben Revere this morning. I think the second we heard it was an oblique issue, you texted me to say see you in six weeks. Essentially, he told reporters today he's looking at a mid-May return date. Uh, 
kind of rough to miss the first month and a half of the season like that coming back. And you think Ben Revere, the skills he has, the ability to get on base and recognize pitches, a contact hitter, he can get right back in the mix there? Or is this going to be one of those seasons where missing out on the first couple of weeks sets someone back and they're playing catch-up all season? Well, you know, I, I hate to say that that's going to be the case, but, I mean, this is a guy that that, uh, um, that uses his legs and runs and, and hits the ground a, a lot. And, um, you know, this is a, a particularly nagging injury. You know, we, we've seen guys, um, you know, miss two weeks with an oblique strain. We've seen them miss two months, and some guys aren't the same player all year. So, um, yeah, you know, I, I fully expected it to be to be a six- to eight-week uh, period before we saw him back, and, and hearing the, the Nats and the player admit that it's going to be at least six weeks makes me think that it's going to be closer to eight. Um, so, yeah, I mean, this, 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 is, this is a devastating thing. I mean, Revere was brought in for a specific reason. He's really the only guy qualified on this team uh, to hit leadoff, and they're going to be without their leadoff hitter for at least a third of the season. And, you know, so far playing the dregs of, of, this, of this division, it hasn't hurt them. Um, but it's going to. I mean, Michael A. Taylor is nobody's leadoff hitter. Um, you know, Chris Heisey is nobody's leadoff hitter. Right now they're just plugging it in, you know, thinking they're going to make do. But uh, eventually they're going to have to address the situation because you can't take an out out of your leadoff spot, you know, three and a half times out of four during a game. I'll just note that Trey Turner would make a great leadoff hitter. Before we get out of here, Doghouse, the luck of the draw falls <laughs> to you. You get the first shot at the trivia question of the day. When Jason Roy yeah. eventually hits his 200th home run, he's stuck on 199 right now. He'll be the fourth player in a, to hit his 200th career home run in a Nats uniform. Do you know who the other three to hit their 200th home run in a Nats uniform are? Uh, well, Ryan Zimmerman's one. Ding. Uh, uh, Josh Willingham? Negative. One more game. Uh, uh, Christian Guzman, as if he could get 200 home runs. <laughs> Sorry, I just wanted to say him for something. <laughs> Dave, Doghouse got 103. Any guesses at the other two? I'm going to guess uh, Alfonso Soriano. Oh, That's yeah. two. And big home run and here. Vinny, one Cas- more. Vinny Castilla. <laughs> Vinny Castilla. Turbo pledge, but he did. But he did not hit his 200th home run in the Nationals uniform. The final answer was Adam LaRoche with his 200th in the Nationals oh, uniform. Adam LaRoche. Jason Worth. I would have guessed Dunner LaRoche. Nats Nightly, sponsored by FederalBaseball.com. 3-2 to two today for the Phillies. They walk off on the Nats. Four-game set with the Marlins starting tomorrow at 7 o'clock. We'll talk to you guys then. Go Nats.